This is Mandite and the Apprentice Mage, Book One of the Mandite Chronicles, written and narrated by Stu Venable. Chapter 12. I woke up around midday, much later than intended, and I was still groggy. I was gladdened to discover that my headache had gone completely. I had arranged with Basil to store Jass's new dress, as she would have no opportunity to wear it where we were going. He also sent one of his staff out to procure her proper traveling clothes. He offered to put it on Kidal's tab, but I asked him to reopen my line of credit, which he did. When I came down to the dining room, Kadal and Jass were already down there. Jass was wearing her new traveling clothes, which, although not as fancy as her dress, were quite smart. She wore typical working-class traveling attire, light gray cotton breeches with a long-sleeve matching jacket with a simple white shirt beneath. Included within her traveling clothes was a cotton backpack, which she had dutifully packed and was now on the ground, leaning against her chair. "'Mandite!' She said, come join us. I did, of course. Don't eat so much, Jass, Kidal pleaded. Now, now, she's still a growing girl, and you put her through quite an ordeal, I chided with a smile. Kidal frowned, but a small smile crossed his face. No doubt he knew he was now paying penance for last evening's escapades. How much did that corslet set you back? I asked of him. I don't want to talk about it. Kadal said as he shoveled food into his maw while guarding it with an arm wrapped around his plate. "'Excuse me, please,' Jas said as she motioned to Basil. He hurried over and held her chair as she rose. I looked in the corner, and Kadal's corslet and mail were hanging on tea stands. The corslet gleamed with a mirror finish, and they must have sanded his mail shirt, for it shined as well. "'Look, Kadal, your valet polished your armor!' I exclaimed." "'Yeah, I saw,' he said glumly. "'I would much rather have had them made. "'Did you get a look at her?' he said in a conspiratorial voice. "'No, I haven't, but they don't offer those sorts of services here,' I said. "'Then I whispered, "'We can go to one of those establishments when we don't have the girl with us. "'I know of a good place, very clean, and the women are beautiful, but you'll pay.' "'Kadal gave me a devilish grin. "'Jas has been going on about her lady's maid, you know.' "'Talked about it all morning. "'Do you think that's wise?' Kadal said. "'I don't think there's any harm in a treat now and then,' I said. "'But what if she thinks this whole trip is going to be like this? "'I have a strong suspicion it won't,' he said flatly. "'No, it won't,' I said. "'I'll set her mind right soon enough, but for now, let her enjoy it. "'Besides, Basil enjoys pampering those who never get to be pampered, "'and Jas has had a hard life. "'She's an orphan, you know.' I figured as much. Not many parents with their salt would send their daughters off with the likes of you, he said, eyeing me over his plate. It's not like that, I protested. I know, he said with a placating gesture. But you have the look of a man who gets in trouble, and that doesn't even account for the fact that you're a mage. Mages get in a lot of trouble. That's true enough, I admitted. I've been thinking the same thing myself. I was thinking of leaving her here... "'Basil does love to dote on those who have been deprived. "'You think she would stand for it?' "'No, wait. "'I don't even know what we're doing. "'Why did you come here?' "'I got the impression you were not supposed to be here,' 
Cadell said. I'm not, I admitted. I'm not a patented mage, and as such, I was banished from the Duchy of Eldamy. Then why risk returning? he asked. There's a dark mage. He set traps on Ikota Isle. That's how I met Jass. Whoever he is, he took her mother many years ago, I said. Why not tell the authorities and go about your life? he asked. It's not that simple. They won't believe me. Without patents, I have no credibility. Most mages without patents turn to crime, or worse, I explained. So you must handle it yourself, Kidal concluded. Just so, I said. But it's likely to get dangerous. No place for her. Then it's settled, Kidal said. Well, yes and no, I began. I was conflicted. She's at a dangerous point in her training. She knows enough to summon the forces, but not enough to control them. Leaving her unsupervised is irresponsible. Don't you have a friendly mage you could leave her with? he asked. No, I have few friends in Eldamy, and none of them are mages, I said. Can Basil watch her? Kadal asked. No, I can't expect that of him, I said. I'm afraid we may have to take her with us. I don't see any other choice. But you just said we should leave her here, Kadal said. I'm thinking out loud. Bad habit, I know, I replied. Kadal had spent most of his adult life under the command of captains and quartermasters. He was used to receiving and following orders. He clearly wasn't used to hearing commanders vacillate over what to do. We sat in silence as Jast returned. This time, Basil gestured to one of his footmen to hold her chair for her. He was young and handsome, and Jast smiled at him as she sat down. And to my consternation, the young footman smiled back. He looked to be only a few years older than Jass, and my reaction surprised me. Was I becoming protective of Jass? Perhaps I was. At her age, parents were both protective and looking for proper suitors. Jass had no parents. Was I taking up that role? It is said that nature abhors a vacuum. Perhaps her lack of parents had awakened some parental instinct of my own. I found that prospect both ominous and annoying. Training an apprentice was a lot of work, and defending a girl's honor against flocks of post-pubescent boys sounded like even more work. Would she expect me to consult with her on possible suitors? Would she seek my blessing on such matters? I shuddered at the thought. Keeping her from blowing herself up was enough to keep my mind occupied, and I didn't need that other stuff muddying my thinking. I put all that aside and decided to set her straight on our traveling conditions to find Marwaleth. Jas, I started, we're going to be traveling across untamed country. No inns, no maids, no handsome footmen. I figured that, she said, blushing slightly. I noted that she was stealing glances at the handsome footman. I cleared my throat. <clears throat> I just want to make sure that you know we won't be traveling in comfort. We'll be eating hard bread and cheese, mostly. We might kill some game along the way, but it won't be easy, I added. Yes, I understand, she said, eyeing the footman, who was now standing in the corner at attention, occasionally stealing a glance toward her. I cleared my throat again, but much louder this time. <clears throat> if we find Marwaleth, we might not survive the confrontation, I said. Wait, Kidal interrupted. Did you say Marwaleth? Yes, that's the mage we're hunting, I said. Gods be kind, Kidal muttered with a gesture I had never seen before. It must have been a gesture of the religion of the Southerners. I met him once, many years ago. 
Jess and I looked at each other in shock. You did, I said with great interest. Yes. I was just a loader then, with the Mary Finch before she sank, Cadal said. What do you know of him, I asked, leaning forward with intense interest. He was aboard the Duke's Pride. She was the ship that sank us. I spent time in her brig. They said he was a mage from the shores of the West, from the Empire of the Sun, he said. The Empire of the Sun, I asked. I've never heard of it. Neither had I, nor any of us, Kidal admitted. Never heard the term before or since. But he kept an undead as a retainer. The crew was terrified of him and his dead servant. They let him on the Duke's pride with an undead? I asked with disbelief. No, you misunderstand, Kidal said. The Duke's pride had been taken by pirates. She was a galleon the size of which you couldn't imagine. Eighty-two guns, three rows of cannon on each side. The crew boasted that they'd made it to the Empire of the Sun. They said it was the only ship big enough to make such a trip. You would need a year or more of supplies, not to mention the storms that plagued the seas beyond the Far Islands. It was almost as if Maroleth ran the ship, but he was only a passenger on their return voyage, Gadal said. I've never seen a crew with so much fear, even when they were about to die. And they were right, whispered Jas. He's an old mage, a thousand years old or more. She gave me a significant look. Mages can live a thousand years, Kadal said, looking at us both with wonder and fear. No, not most of us. Most mages live no longer than anyone else, I corrected. But some turn to a darker path, to dark powers that can extend their lives. But he looked to be a young man, no more than twenty or so, Kadal said. Perhaps he made himself younger, Jas suggested. Or he took a younger body, I added darkly. That's possible, Kadal said with wide-eyed fear. It may be this Maroleth, if he is in fact the same mage we're tracking, has abilities with at least two forces I've never encountered, I said. But you're not a real mage, Kadal said, almost pleading. Jas said you were kicked out, and you yourself admitted you have no patents. Maybe those are in the advanced magic school. I frowned at Jas. She shrugged apologetically. I assure you I know all the forces taught of the Collegium. Even Jas has studied a text of all the forces known there, I said. Maybe the teachers hide things from the students, Kidal suggested. That's possible. We certainly heard rumors of other more powerful and dangerous forces, and those rumors may be based in fact, I admitted. How do you know he's so old? Kidal asked. We found historical records on Ikota Isle confirming that he's at least 170 years old, and Mandite had notes from historical records from Eldamy mentioning him thousands of years ago. He raised an undead army to lay siege to this city, and he was never captured, Jas added. I've seen no mention of this Empire of the Sun in the records of the old empire here. Perhaps he learned his magic across the Western Sea, I suggested. Do you remember what he looked like? He was short and slight, dark, though not as dark as I. I only saw him once, Kidal said. He was selecting prisoners from the brig of the Duke's Pride. They said something about a spell he was casting, and it terrified the crew. Did you ever find out what that spell was? I asked. Only later, he said ominously. 
How did you escape? I asked. The ship ran aground on the backside of Ikoda Isle. It was a terrible storm. The ship was split in two. I almost drowned. There was no distinction between crew and prisoner then. We were all terrified not to drown in the boiling waters there. That's where I got most of my scars when I washed up on the reef. I barely lived, Kidal said. And what happened to Maraleth? Jas asked. I don't know. About ten of us made it to shore, a few prisoners and a few crew. We helped each other get on land. The mage wasn't there, Kidal answered. That's when we discovered his spell. How so? I asked. We'd only been ashore a short time, and they started walking out of the water, he said, staring blankly at his food. It was clear his appetite was gone. Who walked out of the water? I asked. The undead. Dozens of them. I recognized some as the prisoners the mage selected. Some were from the cell next to mine. Their part of the ship sunk, and they drowned. But he brought them all back, Kadal said. Jas looked at me with a searching expression, as if she was trying to read my thoughts. I realized it wouldn't be hard. If my face showed half the fear I felt, I would have looked bloody terrified. Finally, Jas said, What's wrong? I know nothing of necromancy, of course, but I do know the kind of concentration magic requires. I know the kind of powerful forces you must muster to cast such magic at a distance, not to mention the fact that he was on a sinking ship in a massive storm, I said. I don't think I could pull off anything like that, with any force. And if he survived, I started... He's way more powerful than you, Kidal said, completing my sentence. By several orders of magnitude, I said. Kidal and I exchanged a significant glance. Then I looked at Jas, and she was almost scowling at me. What was the size of the crew? I asked, changing the subject. I can't say. Two hundred, maybe more. I know we received a full barrage from the Duke's pride. Forty-one guns. That's at least eighty-two men crew in the cannons, just on the starboard side. They may have had a crew for the larboard as well. That's one hundred and sixty just on cannon. There must have been three dozen above. She had nine masts, Kidal said. Nine masts? I exclaimed. I've never heard of a ship so large. Are you sure? Yes. It was sunset when they reached us. I got a good look at her silhouette. We were in the doldrums when they caught us. Their sails billowed like there was a gale. We assumed they had a mage on board then, Kidal said. No doubt, I added. I hate to say it, but this may be beyond us. Just then Basil approached our table. Would it seem too familiar to the good masters and young mistress if I were to join you? He asked with his make-believe formality. Sit, Basil, I said plainly, not wanting to engage in faint nobility. His face grew serious, and he sat. "'Why do you all look so morose?' Basil asked. "'We're discussing our mission, and the fact that we'll all die,' Kidal said plainly. "'It's really that bad?' Basil asked. "'It is,' Jas answered. "'We're after a very powerful mage, thousands of years old.' Basil leaned back in his chair in shock. "'I didn't think such a thing was possible,' he said." "'It is, apparently,' I answered. "'Mandite, 
I'm loath to bring it up. But you might want to reach out to Xavier. He is your brother, after all, he said. I winced. I silently cursed Basil in his mouth. Jas looked at me. Wait, Xavier Birdstaff, the Cardinal Mage of the West, is your brother? She said in wonder. We don't get along, I explained quickly, trying to change the subject. So, your family name is Birdstaff, like a bird's pizzle? Kadal asked, a small grin cracking through his downtrodden expression. It's an unfortunate name, I admitted. Kadal tried, quite unsuccessfully, to stifle a laugh. Why don't you get along? Jas asked, ignoring Kadal's laughter. He's the one who turned me in for experimenting with magic. That's why I was expelled from the Collegium, I answered. Your own brother turned you in? Kadal asked. He must be an enormous ass, or you are. I looked at Basil. He shrugged apologetically. Yes, thank you. He is the most obstinate rules follower I have ever known, I said. And it was a minor infraction at most. No one was killed or hurt. No cities plunged to the earth. It was a very minor fire, and I put it out myself very quickly. Jas looked at me with surprise. I never said I didn't experiment. In fact, I said I did, I said in my own defense. Would he help us out? Kadal asked. No, I do not think he would, I answered. Perhaps I could approach him. He no doubt remembers me from my time with the Duke, Basil offered. That's a bad idea, I announced. You said this task was beyond us, Kadal said. Is it beyond us if we have Xavier with us? Possibly, I answered. A mage who has been plying the art for nearly three thousand years will have power and skills that would rival any assemblage of mages I can imagine. We should just leave it then, Kadal asked. There was silence for a few very long moments. Jas was the first to speak. I won't leave it be, she said finally. Maroleth took my mother, and he must come to justice. There may not be enough mages in all of Eldamy to best him, I said. I don't care. We can't, or at least I can't, sit by while someone takes people away from their families for whatever foul reason. What if he's planning another siege of Eldamy? Jas pressed. Then he is going to succeed, I said. Do you want to live in that world, Mandite? Do any of you? She asked of the table. There was silence. I certainly don't, she answered. You're not supposed to answer your own rhetorical questions, I said. Shut up, Mandite. This is serious. Stop with the witty jokes, she said, raising her voice. What will you do if this Mandite wins the day? What if he turns Eldamy into some awful undead empire? You think he's going to stop there? She asked. I felt as if I'd been smacked in the face. I often lost sight of the fact that Jas had lost her only family to this mage. I can hide pretty well, Kidal said. Oh, really? What are you going to do if he turns his eye to the south? What if he brings your homeland under his undead rule? Or whatever he's got planned? Or this empire of the sun? What if it's already fallen? What's the use of surviving if you're left with a nightmare of a world? Jas said. I won't have it. If I have to die trying to stop him, that's better than living under his boot. Well said, young mistress, Basil said. Basil sat up straight. Kadal and I slumped. I hold writs, 
as a friend of the Duke, Basil announced with sudden realization. I can invite Xavier here as such. There are certain protocols he would have to follow, as I know he holds such writs himself, as do the other cardinal mages. We cannot simply give up and hide, hoping things will just turn out all right. I owe it to his grace to at least try. You three are not subjects of the Duke, I assume, but I am. And with that come certain responsibilities. If you leave me what proof you have of this Maworleth, I will present it myself, if need be, Basil said. We just got away from Xavier's clutches not eight hours ago, and now you want to invite him here? I exclaimed. He won't know that I was involved in that, Basil said. Xavier won't believe you if he knows it came from me, I said. Never you mind that. I must try. For the good of the duchy, I must try, Basil said. I will present it with you, Master Basil, Jas said. As will I, said Kadal with a bit of reluctance. The three of them looked at me. Damn it, I said. This was the last thing I wanted. I wasn't even supposed to be here, and if Xavier wished, he could report me to the masters of the Collegium. Those old and powerful mages could find me with little difficulty and imprison me. The last thing I wanted to do was languish in a stinking, rotting cell. Then again, at least four of the most powerful mages in the duchy, well, three actually, would know of Marweleth. Perhaps they could do something about it. Hell, they might even get the masters of the Collegium involved. With them, they might be able to take him out. Imprisonment would be a small price to pay to avoid that kind of catastrophe. I couldn't help to think that Jass's predictions were probably quite accurate. If Maroleth, who had already attempted to take Eldamy once, tried again, but with nearly three thousand more years of experience, he'd likely succeed. And that truly would be a catastrophe. I'd studied Eldemic history extensively and there had never been, at least in my reading, such a scenario. Certainly, there had been powerful mages who had held perhaps far too much sway in the ducal courts of old. Some may have even been de facto leaders of the duchy for a time, though there was no written record of such mages, but that wasn't surprising. If a very powerful mage could hold sway over a ducal court, they would certainly be powerful enough to ensure their name never appeared in historical records unless they wished it to. I recalled that both the siege of Eldamy by Maroleth and the conventions that resulted in the patents of magic happened within the eighth millennia of the sovereign duchy of Eldamy, but they were separated by centuries. The siege happened in 7116, and the conventions of magic happened 300 years later. In fact, there had been no recorded incident regarding magic that seemed to be the impetus for the conventions. They just sort of happened. It was very likely whatever event led to the conventions never made it into historical records. I sat in silence as Kadal, Jass, and Basil stared at me intently. I let them stare. What if Maroleth's siege had been a distraction? If Maroleth was adept with mind magic... He may have used the siege as a way to draw the duke's forces to the walls, leaving the palace all but unguarded. He could have enslaved the duke's mind and the minds of his viziers and become the power behind the throne without anyone knowing it. Hell, 
He might have established the patents of magic to ensure that no other mage could ever match his power, and his dominance would last until he was tired of living. But that didn't fit with the current facts. Why would Maroleth have visited Ikoda Isle not once but twice, more than two thousand years later? Why would he have left a written record? Hubris? I could see a three-thousand-year-old mage being rather confident in their abilities. Was he still the power behind the throne? Were Xavier and the other cardinal mages already enslaved by him? I found that hard to believe. Xavier was no slouch when it came to mind magic. That's how he discovered my experimentation when we were at the Collegium. My mind was getting away from me. It was as if Maroleth was in my head, though I was reasonably sure he wasn't. Perhaps Maroleth was legitimately bested on the field of battle and went into hiding. That better fit the facts at hand. If he had somehow become immortal, he would have patience beyond comprehension. Perhaps he spent the last three millennia growing in power, preparing to try again. What would happen to a mind that existed for three thousand years? Would he be capable of feeling sympathy or empathy for mere mortals? Did the endless string of years drive him mad? Is it possible that somewhere along the line, he ceased being a man and became a monster? Jas's apocalyptic prediction might be rather optimistic. A world run by Maroleth might be more of a night terror than a nightmare. All right, summon my hidebound twit of a brother. I relented. I suppose a death from within the Eldemy jail would be quicker than hiding on an island. We have to at least try to stop this madman. If we don't, who will? Chapter Thirteen. Basil closed the bonny scarecrow the next day. We were washed, clothed, and fed by the time Xavier Birdstaff, Cardinal Mage of the West, arrived. I looked down at my ring, and the circular stone was now dark black. Much to my surprise, my estranged brother was accompanied by Samana, Cardinal Mage of the East. Samana was about average height. She was young for a Cardinal Mage, no older than I. In fact, she had been one of my classmates. Her hair was curly and black. She had dark skin, though lighter than Kadal. I knew her family migrated from far south of Highfall, possibly from near Kadal's home. She wore robes of white and grey, indicating her station. When she saw me, she began summoning defensive wards. I rolled my eyes. Cardinal Mage, I am a friend of the Duke, and I have summoned Xavier here as such. If you attend as well, you are under the same constraints. We meet for the good of the Sovereign Duchy, or we do not meet. Basil exclaimed with far more force than I thought he could muster. I wondered if this was how he spoke to his underlings when he was head butler of the Duke's palace. He faced Samana, who was a formidable mage, without fear. I knew she was formidable, as she was one of the most talented mages in our class, perhaps the most talented. At the Collegium, I found her extremely intelligent and driven. I was not surprised she had attained the rank of cardinal mage before her fortieth birthday. Gods knew I never would have. She held up her defense and said to Xavier, "Is this true?" "It is, Samana. It is. I agreed to this meeting as a friend of the Duke," Xavier said in his high-pitched, annoying voice. "And I was alerted to Mandite's presence in the city last night. 
though I'm disappointed to find him in such good company, he said, with a brief judgmental glance to Basil. Basil responded with a slight lift of his chin, making him seem even more pompous and snooty. Samana let down her defensive wards with a stomp of her foot, sending the forces harmlessly into the earth. "'Brother,' I said, giving Xavier a sidelong glance. I didn't get up. "'Brother,' he said with a formal nod. I noted he had a slight smile on his face, and it looked sincere. He'd probably been practicing his duplicity whilst in the Duke's court. Basil had pushed two tables together with six chairs— Three different wines had been decanted along with pale and brown ales. Two loaves of warm bread sat on the table as well. "'Cardinal Mage Xavier,' Basil said, nodding to a chair. He approached and sat down. He sat opposite me, and we stared at each other briefly. Basil held out the other chair, saying, "'Cardinal Mage Samana?' She sat down as he adjusted her chair. Basil sat down where the two tables had been pushed together. He had arranged the seating so that I sat at one end and my brother at the other. Jas and Kedal sat to my right and left, and Samana sat to Xavier's right. He dutifully poured wine for each guest, not asking for preferences, as it appeared that he knew them already. He sliced the bread into thick chunks and set each slice on plates he'd set before each of us. Butter and a selection of jams were placed strategically, so everyone had access to whatever they liked. Samana pointed to a small bowl of jam. "'Is that Delapneberry?' she asked of Basil. "'It is, Cardinal Mage. I remember that you were fond of it when you were apprenticed to the last Cardinal Mage of the East, and I was head butler.' She gave him a genuine smile and said, "'Thank you, Turnwell. Should I still call you Turnwell?' "'I wish that you would.' "'It reminds me of my days when I was younger,' Basil said, smiling. "'There were no such pleasantries between me and Xavier. "'We only briefly glanced at each other, more to make sure the other wasn't looking. "'A few times we accidentally made eye contact. "'We both looked away quickly. "'Finally, Basil straightened himself and spoke. "'I brought you here, Cardinal Mages, "'to convey information of critical importance to the Duchy and his grace, Duke Alcus of Eldamy.' As I know that Master Mandite is considered an exile, I would ask that his apprentice, Jas of Ikota Isle, convey this information, Basil said. You dare to take an apprentice? Samana spat. She looked at me with disdain. Her words and manner truly wounded me. I had known Samana at the Collegium. In fact, she had been quite kind to me before my expulsion. I'd actually grown rather smitten with her. She still wore her black hair short, which I'd always liked, and in truth, I still found myself somewhat smitten. That kindness of youth was gone, though. She clearly saw me as a threat, or at least a scofflaw. As I stared at her, I barely noticed that Jas looked panicked, staring first at me and then Basil. There is no collegium on Ikota Isle, Cardinal Maid Samana, and she is a significant talent, I said formally. Samana gave me a searing look, and Xavier only barely shook his head in an all-too-familiar expression of judgment. I continued. She discovered much of this information herself, and lost a family member to the Dark Mage in question. No doubt it was you, Samana muttered. That's not true, my lady, Jas said in my defense. 
The personal attack on me seemed to bolster her resolve. Cardinal Mage Samana is not a noble. No mages can hold noble titles, young Mistress Jass. Her correct form of address is Cardinal Mage. Basil corrected gently. Thank you, Master Basil, she said formally. She seemed to feel only a bit chided by Basil's words. Basil considered proper etiquette of utmost importance. His years as head butler had honed his ability to correct etiquette without causing embarrassment. It was a skill few outside the ducal household would possess. What followed made me prouder of my apprentice than I could have ever imagined. She set out the information she discovered in the archives at the governor's mansion on Ikota Isle. Then she recited, word for word, the notes I had written many years ago about Marwileth. She then conveyed the information Kadal had given us about Marwileth and the Duke's pride. She left out no detail and made no errors. It was as if her mind captured information and stored it precisely as she received it. When my twit of a brother, Xavier, or Samana, asked questions, she answered them completely or simply said she didn't know the answer. But, Apprentice Jass, we have no proof that the mage who set the traps on Ikota Isle is this Marwaleth, Samana said. She had used the appellation Apprentice, which indicated that she did not consider her a mere child or an assistant of an unpatented mage. We do not, Cardinal Mage, but this mage did use at least two heretofore unknown forces in his enchantment of the stones, Jass answered. Master Mandite, did you bring the stone? I did, I said, producing the stone from my purse. I set it on the table, exposing the two runes of the unknown forces. Both Xavier and Samana gasped, though they tried to conceal it. I eyed them both, though they tried to avoid my gaze. Clearly, by your reaction, you at least recognize these runes, Jass said. Well done, Jass, I thought. We do, Apprentice Jass, we do, admitted Xavier. His expression was sad, no doubt because he would have to concede that I was right and to be believed. I would ask you to, you most respected cardinal mages, is not one of these runes connected to the horrors of the magic that Kadal spoke of? Jas pressed. She was speaking of Marwaleth's magic that turned drowned sailors into the undead. I was so proud. I knew nothing of Jas's past, but it was clear that she sure knew how to present an argument. One of them is Apprentice Jas, Xavier said. The second rune represents the force of undeath. I raised my eyebrows and gave my brother a scandalous glance. He averted his eyes. I was the black sheep of the family, the one who was expelled and exiled. And I didn't know, though I could guess, what the runes represented. Good student and all-around suck-up Xavier recognized the rune of that dark force on sight. Someone was going to have some explaining to do. Then, even if the mage who wrought these stones is not Maroleth of old, is he or she not a dangerous necromancer? she asked. Checkmate, I thought. Well, started Xavier, we would have to examine the enchantment. There is no enchantment, I interrupted. I broke it myself, Xavier scowled at me. At least I thought it was a scowl. I returned it in kind, actually doubly so. But you recognize the runes without examining them, Cardinal Mage Xavier Birdstaff, Jas said. 
I concealed a smile. You are correct, Apprentice Jass, Samana said, resting her hand lightly on Xavier's. And I also recognize the other rune. It is most dangerous and powerful. It represents the power of space and time. It is one of the god forces. I looked at Samana with surprise. So, the god forces are real, I thought, and Samana knows of them enough to speak with authority. That was very interesting. It seems the cardinal mages know of things that would scandalize even the highest masters of the collegium, I said. We are familiar for academic reasons, Xavier answered coldly. While the cardinal mages were mages of significant power and political authority, they answered to a much higher authority, at least magically speaking. All patented mages owed allegiance to the masters of the collegium. These were the mages who eschewed political position and power. They lived magic. They obsessed over the knowledge of magic. They were wise beyond any level a working mage could ever hope to attain. Some called them mage saints. They were the teachers of all of us, and they did not brook dark magic, nor magic that would shatter the very fabric of reality. When those in the halls of power originally drafted the laws that created the patents of magic, the masters of the collegium insisted that only they would have the right to grant and rescind those patents. This gave them considerable power over all mages, even long after they graduated from the collegium. What would Master Abias think? I wondered. If he knew his most prized students were so familiar with such dark and evil knowledge, I said aloud with feigned curiosity. Both Xavier and Samana looked at me flatly. I only smiled back. Jas continued her line of thought. Clearly these runes represent most dangerous forces, Cardinal Mages, she continued, and both of the runes appear in Maroleth's signatures in the records on Ekota Isle. If this is not Maroleth, then perhaps it is one of his apprentices, and should we not seek to stop such an apprentice? You may be right, Apprentice Jass, Samana said, looking significantly at Xavier. Allow us to consult with our fellow mages. One is not here, but we expect him back shortly. I made an effort not to glance at either Jass or Kedal, and I hoped they were doing the same. Any slim chance of this plan working would be axed if they found out their missing cardinal mage, Basma, had been killed by pirates and that we had helped. Clearly no one betrayed anything. As Xavier continued, I breathed a small sigh of relief. "'We will need to take the stone as proof,' he said, quickly snatching it up. "'No problem,' I said. "'I've already copied down the runes.' Both Samana and Xavier frowned at me. "'For academic reasons, of course,' I said with a syrupy smile. "'Though, should you refuse, I would like it back to continue tracking our necromancer.' "'You tracked him with this stone?' Samana said with a whisper. She again looked at Xavier. "'Yes,' I replied. "'You do realize that there are ways of backtracking such scrying,' she said. "'Only if he's ready for it,' I replied. "'I was actually rather good at scrying. "'Apart from air magic, it was one of the few things I took to without much effort.' "'How do you know he wasn't, dear brother?' Xavier said with an air of superiority. 
calculated risk, I said. Yes, you've made several of those, haven't you? He said. It was more of a statement than a question. I replied with yet another smile. My cheeks were becoming sore from all the smiling. I did a second scrying this morning, I announced. It appears he's holed up in the Wall Mountains, almost directly to the northeast. I can fetch a map to give you a more precise location. Let's not get ahead of ourselves, Samana interrupted. We don't yet know if we will be involved. She finished her slice of bread, drained her cup, and stood. Xavier followed suit. Samana left without a word, and I thought Xavier would do the same, but he stopped for a moment at the door to the bonny scarecrow and turned. Master Turnwell, Apprentice Jass, Master Cadal, he said, then looking at me said, Mandite. I thought he was just snubbing me by dropping the honorific, but then he said something that floored me. It is good to see you, he said to me. Good to see that you are well. Then he turned to walk away, only to stop again. Mother, she asks after you. You should write her. Or visit her whilst you're here, he said. I will if I'm not arrested, I said dryly. I doubt that will happen. I'm not at liberty to say much. But the information you conveyed here is, he searched for the right words, consistent with other events we've noted of late. The Duke is mustering an army currently, though it's not yet public knowledge. Mandite! Samana called from the street. He turned and left. We sat there for a moment while I reeled over Xavier's words of kindness and his revelation. I wondered if they were sincere or if he was lulling me into a false sense of security. Either could be the case, but if an army was mustering, that was significant. Now that wasn't so bad, was it, Mandite? Basil said, interrupting my train of thought. No thanks to Mandite's tongue, Jas spat. I was still thinking about the Duke raising his army, but then I realized what Jas had said. Now see here, apprentice, I began. She's right. Cadal said with finality. If we're going to do this, we'll need their help, and we'll have to work together without the bickering, he added. Thank you, Cadal, Jas said. Now please excuse me, she said, standing up. Basil quickly stood to hold her chair, but she had already headed toward the stairs. Don't bother, Basil. I'm not a real lady. I thought I detected the sound of sobs as she quickly climbed the stairs. Well done, Cadal said darkly. I do hope she's not thinking she will find her mother alive when you find this necromancer, Basil said, refilling our cups. Is that even a possibility? Cadal asked. That's very doubtful, I mused. If they're right about that enchanted stone, it means it not only transported her, but did something to her having to do with the force of undeath. Maybe that's just preparing her for something, Cadal proposed. Possibly, but it's been ten years since she was taken. Whatever he was going to do with her, he certainly would have done it by now, I answered. What do you know about her parents? Basil asked. Nothing whatsoever. All I know is that her mother was taken when she was very young. She knows nothing of her father. Perhaps she never knew him, or he her. Who knows? Her given name might be a bastardization of her actual name. Why do you ask? I said. 
Maybe nothing, but she's awfully well-spoken for an orphan. Especially an outer islander, Basil replied. She speaks as if she received at least some formal education. Not much of that on Nikoda Isle, I said. Perhaps that's not where she is from, could all guessed. You may be right, I said. It was strange that Jas was so well-spoken. She had practically dazzled Xavier and Samana. I'd certainly not taught her anything about rhetoric or language. That was all her, and she was good at it. In fact, few commoners had such a command of the language or logic. And she spoke with two people of great authority with comfort. That, too, was remarkable. Clearly, she was more than a simple outer isle waif. Regardless of all that, you mustn't get her hopes up about finding her mother. In fact... "'I suspect you may need to lower her expectations,' Basil said. "'She's never mentioned to me any hope of finding her mother alive and well,' I said. "'Maybe that's because she doesn't want to hear whatever answer you may give her on the subject,' Basil said. "'I thought back to my first meeting with Jas. "'I had mentioned that it was unlikely she was alive, but I had couched that statement in kindness. "'Maybe that wasn't a kindness.' Maybe it was my own reluctance to give her extremely unpleasant news. "'And you certainly wouldn't be gentle about it,' Kidal added. I began to protest, but I saw his point. My previous experience in Eldamy had turned me bitter, no doubt. I was neither circumspect nor diplomatic. Apart from witty quips, I was rather direct. If you would like to find out more about my writing, go to stewvenable.com.